How's everybody doing this morning? Uh, I cannot believe it's our last service in the park for the summer. Can we just give a big thank you to all of our staff, volunteers, all those who have made Church in the Park possible? I don't know that you fully appreciate the amount of work and energy it takes to make this happen every week. From our sound and setup to teardown, tech team, worship band, kins ministry, hospitality, communion, baptisms, and everything else that goes in. Uh, it is quite an endeavor to make this happen every week. We're celebrating over 25 years of doing church in the park. Is that not amazing? That's pretty incredible. And uh, for all those that are doing the antique show, hey, so glad you get to hear the gospel today. <laughs> I hope you have an awesome morning. Uh, as we head back into the dock, I just wanted to bring an awareness. How many of you are grateful for our kids' ministry? Can we just give a shout out? Um, Kate Hopple has done an amazing job with kids' ministry, as well as uh, Derek and Amanda with Z Youth. We now brought on a new employee, Caleb, who is helping with Kate. Everybody say, hi, Caleb. Hi. Caleb's doing an awesome job. Now, here's why I bring this up. Something interesting happened during COVID, and it's actually happening across churches in the United States, and it's something that we as a family, we're going to do a little family business right now. What has happened post-COVID, even though we're still kind of in the middle of it, while more people are coming back to church, less people are getting engaged in church. What that means is, is that our numbers are still growing but people who are serving, who are a part of what's going on, is actually decreasing across the country. It's not unique to Zion. Now, we have some pretty remarkable things that happen Wednesday nights. Our kids' ministry team, Wednesday nights, and our Z youth have done an amazing job creating a space for kids to encounter Jesus on a Wednesday. And then Sunday morning, we have our kids' ministry. Now, here's what's happened. Some of this is life. Some of this is situational because people are getting married, some are having kids, job transitions. We are now at a shortage of volunteers more than any other point probably in the last several years. Now, here's what that means for us. As a church, if we want to continue to provide the ministry, because how many of you believe kids are not the future of the church of the church today? If, yeah, we can clap for that. If we want to see our kids continue to be reached for Jesus, we need people to step up. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm not asking you to commit to anything. But would you prayerfully consider helping, being a part of loving on our kids, both in Z Youth and in Z Kids, either on Sunday or Wednesday? Think about it. Pray about it. But here's the biggest part, and here's what I love about Zion. Zion has never been afraid of a challenge. Even taking the park on is a challenge. It is a lot of work, and but here's the thing. The work is worth it, amen? So would you do me a favor? Be praying. Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, God might be opening a door for you to come and participate? We don't ask a lot. It's not a lot of time commitment, but it is a commitment nonetheless. But we need this from you. So would you please be praying about that? Talk to Kate or to Amanda to learn more. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. A few weeks ago, we finished our summer series called This Is How I Fight, where we explored the reality of spiritual warfare. 
We talked about its effects in our world, our community, our church, and in our own lives. Now, last week, Jennifer Colby, our adult ministries director, absolutely brought the fire with the Word of God. Can we get an amen for thank you for the work there? She talked about the importance of dwelling well in the Lord. Now, it's no coincidence that we, these are called one-off series. It was not part of our spiritual warfare series, but I believe that the Lord was speaking and giving Jennifer some direction because we just talked about the reality of spiritual warfare. And part of how we fight is we must go to the one who fights for us. And dwelling in the Lord is creating space to actually live, to think, to be actively participating in relationship with God. Even when things aren't going our way, even when the battle seems to be turning. Now, you may have heard me say this a few weeks ago. The war has already been won. Victory has been secured in Christ. We know that one day Jesus is going to come, judge the living and the dead. We know that Satan, sin and death will one day be cast into the fires of hell. But until then, the battle is still happening. So our job is not to try and win the war. Jesus won the war. Our job is to be faithful in the battles. And how part of how we do that is through dwelling. Now, I want to thank Jennifer for her faithfulness in bringing God's word but I also want to say this, we are so incredibly spoiled as a church by the many godly gifted staff, leaders, and volunteers who call Zion home. And that in the midst of everything that we're doing, our desire as a church is to be a church that makes the name of Jesus famous, amen? And I, one of the things that I'm excited about is every staff member, every leader, every volunteer Every person who comes and makes what happens on a Sunday or a Wednesday or throughout the week happen are all committed to this one mission. We want Jesus to be made famous in Clear Lake, Iowa. We want the gospel to be made known. Now, here's the thing. We're on our last Sunday, and I felt like what the Lord began last week with Jennifer and talking about dwelling wasn't quite done yet. In fact, I, I want to finish us off at the park by continuing the conversation on dwelling. Because the hard truth is, it's really hard to be intentional with God. It's hard. There's all kinds of distractions. There's so many things in our world that are vying for your attention, for my attention. Last week, Jennifer brought out her cell phone and she talked about this challenge how many of you, by a show of hands, have ever found yourself getting caught up in 45 minutes to a couple hours just scrolling through Facebook or Instagram? Or come on, if you've got a phone, you've probably done it, right? Because we actually understand what it means to dwell. We know what it's like to get lost in something. It's hard to get lost in God. It's not easy. It takes energy and time. And the truth is, it's way easier to get lost in a video, scro video scroll feed at 3.30 in the morning when you can't sleep or when you're bored than it is to actually be intentional with God. God knows that. I know that. I'll tell you, I struggle with it. And I'm going to make an honest confession here. I probably shouldn't say that as a pastor from the stage, but here's the thing. 
Sometimes my Twitter feed tends to be more engaging than my prayer time. Sometimes Instagram, Facebook, all these other things, sometimes they are far more appealing than spending time in the Bible or listening to the Lord or listening to worship music or any number of things. And that's when it hit me. I am so grateful that God does not fail where I do. While I struggle to want to spend time with God, God never struggles to want to spend a time with me or with you. Where we are faithless, He is faithful. Even though I may not always want to dwell with God, God always wants to dwell with me. He always wants to dwell with you. That's His heart. It's, it's part of the, the, the desire of his, his longing is that He wants to be with us. And so as I was thinking about and praying about and, and asked the Lord, okay, God, what would you have from us? I was thinking about the pages of the Bible. And you may be shocked to know this, maybe not, but there's a theme that runs throughout the pages of the, the Bible, even in the Old Testament. And it's this. Even though we don't want to be with God, God wants to be with us. God is always longing to spend time with us, to dwell with us. Even in our sin, even in the times when we're forgetting about God, even in the times when we run or shake our fists at God, we rebel against God, God still wants to be near us. In, the Bible, in, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and the first thing they do when they sin is they hide. And you hear the story where it says the Lord was walking among the garden looking for Adam and Eve. Now he's God. He knew exactly where they were. He asks this very profound question. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? This is not a physical location question. It's a relational question. Adam and Eve in their sin didn't want to be found by God, but God was looking for them. We don't just see this in Genesis. We see it throughout the pages of the Bible is that God is one who is rooted in love and relationship. He is a God who is not far off, who longs to be near his people, his creation. In the story of Moses and the Israelites as they're delivered from Egypt, we find the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. They're not wandering because they're physically lost. They actually knew exactly where they were supposed to go. The problem was they were relationally lost. They were not connected with God, and yet God wanted to be near them. And so what does God do? God tells Moses, I want to dwell with you. I want you to create a space for me called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a temporary tent that was to be set up. And everywhere that Israel went, God went with them. And the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God's spirit, God's presence, because God did not want to be far off. For 40 years, the Lord dwelled with them as they wandered in the desert. There was a place set aside for him. Now, let me ask you a, a question. When was the last time that you set aside, set aside a time and a place for God? I want you to think about that for a moment. When was the time, when was the time that you purposely set aside a space and a time to be with God. 
For some of you, it might have been earlier this morning. It might have been later this week. But would you all agree with me with this? Is that more often than not, it's easier to forget about God than to remember God. How many of you would agree with that statement? Throughout your day, it's easy to forget about those spaces. And yet, here's what we find. The reason why it's so hard for us is that we are distracted people. But God is undistracted. Even though I may struggle, even though I may fail to want to dwell with Him, God is always wanting to pursue you and me to dwell with us. This is actually part of what the good news of the gospel is of Jesus. In the gospel of John, John was the youngest of the disciples and he wrote these words, John 1.14, the word which was Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, There was a guy named Eugene Peterson. He's called the pastor of pastors. He died several years ago. He wrote a a translation, a paraphrase of the Bible. And I actually love the way Eugene Peterson translates John 1, 14. He says it this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We've lived in Clear Lake for five years now. We're now part of this community. Some of you are visiting part of our community, and I'll tell you, Clear Lake's a pretty awesome place to live. The idea that Jesus, God, became flesh, He didn't just come to be flesh to come and visit with humanity, He came to move in. He came to be a part of the creation. He came to make residence, to set up a space and a place. Why? Because God is in the business of pursuing us. God wants to be with you. Now here's just the beginning of the good news. God became flesh so that he could tabernacle dwell with us. But God is still pursuing you. He's still pursuing me. He still wants that time and that space with you. This morning, (coughs) we're going to look at God's promise, not just to dwell with you, but to dwell within you. There's a difference. See, Jesus did not come to be on the outside, but that we might have the Holy Spirit within us. Theologically, the the Bible term, the Christianese term, is indwelling. Everybody say that with me. Indwelling. And it means exactly what it says. It means to dwell within. Last week, Jennifer talked about dwelling with the Holy, dwelling with God. This morning, we're going to talk about God's indwelling within us as God's people. And why this matters is that if you begin to understand the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, life changes. You'll begin to see things differently. Colors look different. Life looks different. Situations look different. Some of you this morning need an an eyesight adjustment. You need to see things differently. And I'm here to tell you that if you are in Christ, if you confess Jesus as Lord, there is a promise that the Holy Spirit will dwell in you, that the Holy Spirit will do a work in you. Now, 
The God of Israel, the God of creation, the God of the universe has been wanting to meet with his people since the first day of creation. It's been part of his heartbeat since creation happened, whenever that happened. This is why God created the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. It was because God desired to be near. However, the tabernacle was never a permanent home. After the tabernacle, Israel settled in the land of Israel. They took the land of Israel and eventually uh, they, they asked for a king. And the first king they got was a guy named Saul. Saul wasn't a great king. And eventually he lost the anointing of the Lord and a guy, a young shepherd by the name of David would be anointed king. And several years later, David would become king. And David is said to have a heart after God. Now here's what this means. Part of David's desire... Part of the thing that separated David from other kings is that David wanted intimacy with God. He wanted to dwell with God. He wanted a relationship with God. David eventually becomes king and he creates a palace. And he lives in this palace and as he's looking, he looks around his beautiful house. He looks around at all that he has and he sees all that he has. And then he looks out and what does he see? He sees that the God of the universe doesn't have a house of his own. He's living in a pup tent. And David doesn't like this. And so David goes to the Lord and says, God, why is it that I should have a temple that other gods have temples, but you don't have a house for you? I want to build a temple, a permanent house for you, Lord. Now, here's the thing. God never asked David to build a temple. David wanted to do it because David's heart was for the Lord. And, but the problem was, is David was short-sighted. David actually couldn't see the whole picture. Now, because David was a warrior king, he was constantly at war. His reign was covered with blood and death and all kinds of destruction. And we, we serve a God of life. God told David, David, I appreciate that you want to build me a temple. However, I'm not going to let you do it, but I will let your son. Eventually, David dies, King Solomon, David's son, becomes king, and Solomon wants to build this temple, and Solomon is the richest, wisest man in in all of the ancient world, and he sets out to build a temple, a house for the Lord, and this temple is gorgeous. Now, there's another problem, and it's a problem that's existed in humanity since the beginning of time, and here's what it comes down to. As human beings, we want to contain and control God. I do, you do, it's part of our human problems. Now there's something inside of us that realizes that God is holy and big and and He's God and we're not. But there's still a part of us that wants to separate God. Even the temple, when Solomon built the temple... He built it with separateness, control in mind. Let me give you an example here. Check this out. When the temple was designed, it was separated into different sections. For instance, women were to be separated from, separated from men. Jews were supposed to be separated from Gentiles. Priests were supposed to be separated from everybody else. And the ultimate separation was between God and humanity. God's spirit could only be found according to what they thought in what was called the holy of holies. And the idea was this, is that God's over here and we're over there. 
to quote the great band Offspring, you got to keep them separated. This is the idea that's taking place within the Bible, is that we understand separateness, don't we? We understand, and, and I want you to think about your own language. For instance, if I were to ask you, where is God? Most people would say he's where? In heaven. Most people, that's how most people are going to think. God's in heaven, we're on earth. Where's heaven? We're thinking heaven is a location up there. Now, here's the thing. We've got, we've got telescopes. We've looked up into the stars. We haven't found God in the stars. We think separateness. We think God is over here. I'm over there. There's separation that must take place. But here's what we find. God's desire is to remove the separation. God's desire is not separateness, but indwelling. It's relationship. King David's heart was in the right place. I think his heart, because he wanted a temple, was he looked at the Lord and he said, God, you deserve better than what we've given you. But I think David missed it. Solomon actually had somewhat of the right idea. Solomon looked out on the Lord, on the temple, and listen to what Solomon wrote. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 2. The temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? Solomon got a glimpse in his wisdom to realize that the purpose of the temple was really just to remember. It actually didn't contain God. It was actually just a place that we could go and worship and give honor to God. It was a physical reminder that God wants to dwell with us. If you have your Bibles or want to turn to Zion's app or our Facebook page, would you please turn with me and stand with me and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to give you a second. It's on the face, Zion's Facebook page or on, our, on the Zion app. Or if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians, that's to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have it in front of you and want to read it out loud with me, it's verses 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. If you can, read this out loud with me. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. All right, so check this out. Old Testament, <coughs> before Jesus, the Holy Spirit roamed through the earth. The Holy Spirit was not contained in one place, and it says that the eyes of the Lord are looking for those who long to be with God, for righteous people. The Holy Spirit would land and anoint certain people in certain tasks, certain spaces and places. There was a guy named Bazalel who was, who was uh, ordained by the Holy Spirit to design the, the tabernacle. Very cra he was a craftsman, gifted. Judges like Samson were strong because the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Prophets and priests were anointed by the Lord because the Holy Spirit came upon them but didn't stay with them. 
Even kings like Saul and David could lead as long as God's presence dwelled with them. The problem was this. There was one constant belief about God's presence and spirit. You had to fight for it, work for it, and hope that it wouldn't leave you. That was the, that was the way people saw God is, I have to do everything I can to keep this in because I could lose it. If you wanted to dwell with God, you needed to go where God's presence was. Now, here's the thing. We still tend to think like this. Let me give you an example. Not too long ago, I was having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about the church. And this is how the conversation went. Jason, we need to take better care of God's church. This is his building. This is the house of the Lord. And they were talking about our facilities, whether it be the dock or the traditional building. It was this idea of this is God's house and we need to take care of it. Here's the problem. It's not. A building is not God's house. God's house is not made of brick or mortar. Now, I do believe we need to take care of them, not because they're God's house, but because they're God's property. We're called to be good stewards of the resources we have. But why is it that we tend to think of church, the location is God's house? It's because of this. Well, if I want to meet with God, where do I need to go? I need to go to church. I need to go to this building that happens on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. That's when I meet with God. I have to keep it separated. I go to church to meet with God, and then once I leave, I get to do my own thing. And this is the dilemma, the problem that we all struggle with is that what we're caught in is a mentality, not of a God who is near, but a God who is separate. A God who somehow wants to be separated from us, but this is not the heart of God. In the four Gospels, these are the first four books of the New Testament, there's a story that we find in a couple of them. So Jesus has been going out and he's healing all kinds of people, casting out demons. And in the Old Testament, there was a promise that a Messiah would come and that this Messiah would create a kingdom and that he would rescue God's people from their enemies. He would vanquish their enemies. And in this case, for the, for the disciples of Jesus, the enemy was Rome. And what they were waiting for was this. They were waiting for a Messiah who would come and slay their enemy, who would wage war against the Roman Empire. And Jesus seems to be fitting the description of this Messiah. Jesus is doing all kinds of really cool things and people start talking. Hey, I think Jesus might be the guy. I think he's coming to vanquish our enemies. I think Jesus is coming to wage war. Now, Jesus at one point asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter says, hey, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, hey, I didn't, man didn't reveal that to you. God's spirit, the father showed you that. And now because of that confession, I'm going to build my church on you. Then Jesus begins to go on and he, he switches things up. See, here's the problem. In Peter and James and John and all the other disciples, what they were picturing was a military uprising. They were picturing war. And Jesus was the one who was coming to wage the war. He was the one who was going to overthrow the Roman government. And then Jesus shifts gears. And instead of talking about waging war, he says this. Hey guys, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. 
oh, you mean like you suffer like you're going to take a sword and go to battle? Uh, no, actually, um, that suffering, well, and, and the people I've come to save, they're, they're actually going to kill me. Wait, what, Jesus? What, how, how can you overthrow a government if you're dead? No, no, that's, that's not right. Well, and, and, but it's okay, don't worry. I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to come back from the grave. By the way, that sounded as weird to them as it does to us. They didn't have a category for that. And Peter turns to Jesus and says this to him. Lord, I will never let that happen. I will never let them kill you. And Jesus, one of the most infamous stories in the gospel, turns to his best friend Peter and says these words. Get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. See, Peter wanted a human Messiah. Jesus came to be God's Messiah. He then he turns to his disciples and says, listen, if you want to find your life, you need to lose your life. Whoever wants to be for me needs to be willing to pick up their cross and die. Now, this doesn't sound like a great way to start a revolution. Just letting you know that. Six days goes by. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they're still kind of confused. Jesus goes up onto a mountain. Now, remember I told you they're Jewish. There were a couple things that for a good Jew meant that God's kingdom was coming, and it was the return of two of their greatest leaders, Moses and Elijah. Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments, the law to Moses. Elijah was considered the greatest prophet. It is believed to this day, Jews still believe this, that when God returns, Moses and Elijah will come with them. Jesus goes up onto a mountain. Peter, James, and John are watching Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus begins to glow, this supernatural, like the sun, the presence of God comes on Jesus. And Peter, James, and John look at Jesus and going, do you see that? And then they look up, and in the middle of the light, they see Moses and Elijah sitting, talking, just hanging out with Jesus. Now, this is called the transfiguration. Don't worry, it just, it basically means Jesus is revealed as the Messiah. He's revealed as God in flesh. Now check out what happens. Peter sees what's going on. He sees Jesus and he goes, wait, Jesus is the Messiah. There's Moses. There's Elijah. All right, let the dwelling begin. Yeah, the kingdom's coming. And Peter turns to Jesus and says, hey, can we pitch three tents for you? Can we, let's, let's put up some tents so that you can dwell, God. Let's, let, I want to put one tent for Moses, one tent for you, Jesus, one tent for you, Elijah, and let's, the dwelling, the kingdom is coming. Yes, it's here. All of a sudden, this fog, this great cloud envelops Jesus, and a voice comes from the cloud, and you might be familiar with hearing this because you heard it another time before. And out of the cloud, you hear the Father say this, this is my son whom I'm well pleased with. Listen to what he says. Peter, James, and John fall flat on their face. They are overwhelmed by the glory and presence of God. They can't help. They are in the presence of the holy of holies. They look up and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, get up. And Moses and Elijah are gone. 
Now, scholars don't really know why Peter wanted to to put up three tents, but I, I have a suspicion. You guys ready for this? I think, I think there's a reason why Peter's reaction was, all right, God's here, let's put up some tents. See, I think what Peter might have been trying to do was control and contain God's dwelling. In Peter's mind, if God's kingdom is supposed to come, then we need to set up an empire We need to set up a physical location where God can be. And so the natural thing to do would be what? Let's put up a tent. Let's build a place. Let's build a house for God. I think the reason why this story is in the Gospels, I think the reason why we see this is that Jesus is trying to change their perspective of what it means to dwell. Peter thought the goal was to keep God over there. Jesus came so that God might dwell in here. So that we might have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That it's not about temples, it's not about tabernacles or tents. It's about God dwelling within us. This is, this is the heart of what God's been wanting to do since the fall. God has been longing to have relationship with us. And in this moment, we see that God says, Peter, you're missing the point. You think the kingdom is going to look like the Roman Empire. You think it's about, okay, there's a king, he's got a palace, he's got an army, he's got people, he's got land, and Jesus came so that we might have the kingdom of God within us. That the dwelling would change something internally. So that God is no longer over here and we're over there. It's so that now we have relationship with God. But here's the part. And here's what I hope you hear right now. And I think right now there's somebody that's listening in the crowd that the Lord's peeking something in you. Maybe you're walking around antiquing and the Lord's trying to get your attention. Here's the thing. You want to know part of the reason why we like the idea of God dwelling in separate places? It's way safer. It's way safer for God to be over here and me to be over here because then I can keep God in a box. I can keep God at a distance safe enough so that I'm still in control, so that God doesn't have everything. There was a prophet named Ezekiel. He wrote these words in Ezekiel 36. The Lord revealed this to him. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be be careful to observe my commands. Man's Messiah keeps God safely over there. God's Messiah brings God not just near to us, but his presence within us. God wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to dwell within you. But here's the beautiful part. You guys ready for this? If you're ready for this, say, I'm ready. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. If you're a Christian, he's already there. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to pray for it. You don't have to hope for it. You already have the Holy Spirit in you. 
It's a promise given by God. You don't have to seek it. The minute you surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit made home inside of you. He dwells in you. And this can change everything. Jesus came so that we could do more than dwell with God. Jesus came so that God could now dwell in us. The challenge of last week was how well are you dwelling? Through Jesus, God came to offer more, to give more, to empower more. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, now God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, now has made a home inside of His people. The temple of the Lord is no longer a building, it's a people. Now, I'm grateful for the dock. I'm grateful for the traditional building. But that's not where God dwells. God is here right now. Do you agree with that? God is in our midst. God is dwelling in His people. Ecclesia, the gathering of the saints, where we are, the kingdom of God goes with us. We have brought, not church, we've brought God's presence into Clear Lake, Iowa. And not because we're Lutheran, but because we love Jesus. Our brothers over at, our brothers and sisters at Harvest, other Galilean, all these churches, if they proclaim Jesus, the same spirit resides in them that resides in us. Amen? And that means that the kingdom of God is breaking out in northern Iowa. And he's breaking out through the people, not through denominations, not through certain things. He's breaking out when God's people are living the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's when we're going to see change. That's when we're going to start seeing God's presence move. So what does this mean? What does this mean? How do I make this tangible? Uh, one, of our, one of my friends at Sermon Read Through, we were walking through this, and she turned to me and she says, so what, what does that mean, Jason? What's the next step? How many of you guys are ready for the next step? If you want the next step, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here's the next step. You guys ready? First, it means you have to confess. It means acknowledging that, now check this out. This is gonna, I'm going to turn it for a second. It means acknowledging that the Holy Spirit already dwells inside of you if you're a Christian. You have to confess He's already there if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it means you need to confess that Jesus is Lord. And when you do, the Spirit resides in you. But you need to acknowledge that Jesus has already made a home. The Holy Spirit has already made a home. The authors of the Bible remind us that just because we have the indwelling of the Spirit does not mean that we have a good relationship with the Spirit. And this is if I could give a challenge for us this morning. We all sadly know couples who have been married for years but living like they're divorced. They occupy the same house. They may even sleep in the same bed, but there's no relationship. You have the Holy Spirit in you, but here's the question. Is He occupying the space or are you living with Him in the space? Just because you occupy the same home doesn't mean you're in active relationship. Too many of us here have the Holy Spirit in us, but we're not fostering the relationship. We're not spending time. We're not creating space for a loving, vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. Just like a marriage, if you don't nurture, care for, and make space for the Holy Spirit, 
it's possible to occupy the same space as the Spirit and, not, and yet not live in the power and the potential of that relationship. This is why in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. How many of you have ever been in a fight with your spouse and you get so mad and you walk in and you slam a door? Gah! Come on, raise your hand. Come on. Can I get some honest people up in here? How many of you have ever been in a fight? You're like, gah! And you slam the door and you walk out. You slam the door because you're angry. Some of you are slamming the door on the Holy Spirit in your life. You've let sin enter, creep into the house and out of anger or envy or shame or whatever it is, you're not angry at God, but you don't want God there because he's a reminder that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. So you slam the door. Well, here's the thing. The Bible tells us, the authors of the Bible remind us that even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Even when I slam the door on the Holy Spirit, he's still there. When I was in high school, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. When I was in high school, my youth pastor shared this story. This is many moons ago, <laughs> a long time ago. My youth pastor described it this way, and, and so maybe you've heard this illustration. He described the interior of my life like a house. And he said, Jason, the Holy Spirit lives inside your house. And here's what happens. God is in the house, but some of us don't want to give him full access to the house. So what we do is instead of giving him the title to the house, we want to give him a tour. So we walk through and go, hey, that's my bedroom. You're not welcome to go in there, Lord. That closet, I don't want you to go in that closet. That drawer, I need you to stay away from there. What we do is we walk around and instead of giving God the title to our house, the deed to our soul, what we end up doing is just giving him a tour of it because we're afraid we're afraid that maybe he's going to find something he doesn't like. I'm here to tell you, he's already found things he doesn't like and he still loves you. He knows every part of you, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent. And he still wants relationship with you. My youth pastor said, Jason, I want you to picture what parts of your house are you trying to keep the Lord out of? What parts of the house are you saying, God, you can have access to the living room, but you know, don't don't go in that closet. There's some bad things there. Stay out of that drawer. We all have the junk drawer that's filled with batteries and rubber bands, right? Well, we also have things in our lives that are the secrets, the sins, the mistakes. But sometimes the reason why we don't want to give them access isn't because of shame. It's because of control. Imagine if I get married to my wife and we get into the house and they say, babe, Welcome to our house, except that room. That's my room. You stay out of that room. It's not our house then, is it? It's still my house. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Does he have the title or are you just giving him a tour? I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes for a moment. I want you to picture your house, the inside of who you are. And I want you to think for a second, 
Have you given God full access, full reign of your house? Does he have the keys to your house? And if there's part of your life that you're trying to keep separate from the Holy Spirit, why? Maybe it's the shame of an affair that happened years ago that you're terrified to let God into. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a word that was spoken over to you when you were a kid that still holds you captive. Maybe it's what you did on Friday night. The question that God asks for us this morning is that God wants to dwell with us. God cares about who we are. He wants full access to the house. But here's the lie that so many of us believe. God, what if I give him access to my house and I don't like what he takes out? I'm going to tell you, he's going to Marie Kondo that stuff all over the place. You're going to find that the Lord is going to take out the garbage. He's going to take out the stuff that isn't bringing life. You don't need to throw out clothing to spark joy. You need the Holy Spirit to spark joy. Amen? When you invite the Holy Spirit, when you confess the Holy Spirit, He begins to do something inside of you. Now, I told you I was going to give you physical steps. Here's what you need to do. The Holy Spirit brings a promise of an indwelling. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit secures us in Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit strengthens us to Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit makes us more like Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit keeps us surrounded by Christ. Now I asked you to picture those doors, those spaces that don't belong to the Lord. If you want to give Him access, this is all you need to do. You ready for this? It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, I'm sorry. In fact, if you're in that place right now, if you realize that you're hiding some spaces from the Lord, would you just say out loud, Lord, I'm sorry. I give you the keys. Holy Spirit, my house is yours. God's going to do something new in you but it starts when you let him indwell fully in you. God is moving. God is working. And for some of you, the fear comes down to this. You don't know what it looks like to give God control. And I'm here to tell you this. The invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good, when you give the Holy Spirit access you find out just how good dwelling with the Lord is. That the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And now all of a sudden, you don't have to work to dwell well with the Lord. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit has access to the house, the mundane, the boring, the dinner table, tucking my kids in at night, hugging my wife, going through a walk around the neighborhood, mowing my yard, walking around the lake, all of these things become an opportunity for an encounter with the Lord because God is in the daily tasks in showing up with us every day. Would you stand with me? Here's what I want to challenge you with and my hope comes down to this. God wants access to every part of who you are. 
but he promises that when he meets you in there, he is a good, gracious, loving, and compassionate God, and that he will meet you in that place. This morning, if you've been stifling, if you've been grieving, neglecting the Holy Spirit, trying to shut down and shut out, here's what I want you to hear. Because of his promises, he will not be chased out of your house. You can't chase God out. You can lock him out. You can try and shut him out. He's still there. God is here this morning to be with you. So here's the question I want to ask you, and we're going to close in worship. What are the rooms, the spaces that you've closed off? How can you acknowledge to Christ that they've been shut down? Here's what it comes down to. Be honest, confess it, invite the Holy Spirit, and then repent, give God the keys. The indwelling is here now. It's a promise for us today, amen? If you need prayer, if you need the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you, come and receive prayer from our prayer team. If there are spaces and places where you've been locking the Lord out, I want to invite you to come and ask. Let people pray with you and for you. Give him the title, not just the tour of your heart. Amen? I hope to see you guys next week. Let's continue in worship and praise the Lord. Thank you so much for coming.